it was a life of adventure, an adventure with God. I mean, we don't always know what's going to happen on this day or the next day. And that's part of the excitement that it's a step in faith. One of the issues in Australia is we become too dependent on just things always working and we lose sight of God in daily life. But in Nepal, we always were very aware of God's presence. Countless souls around the world who do not know Jesus and can't easily access the gospel. This is the heart of mission. What small role can you play in God's big world? Missionaries, cross-cultural specialists, pastors, their stories and perspectives can really help us. Thanks for joining us. Grab a cuppa and strap in as we demystify, decode and de-stress the great challenges of cross-cultural mission. Hi there, Mark Peterson here on the Heart of Mission podcast. How much do you know about the church in Nepal? It's a Hindu-majority country in which over the years there has been significant persecution of Christians. It's a nation with a law against proselytizing. Sounds like being a missionary there would be pretty impractical. Or is it? And did you know that before the 1950s, there really weren't any Christians in Nepal at all that we know of? But this didn't stop a group of faithful, gospel-loving prayer warriors. A 20-year prayer vigil connected with the work of two Christian medics working with Nepalis along the Indian border with this closed country, urging the Lord to cause the gates to swing open and the gospel to come in. So what happened? Well, God answered their prayers, and in the early 1950s, these medical missionaries were allowed in. It's an exciting story, but not an easy one for those Nepalis among whom the early seeds of Christian faith were planted. 30 years of persecution, actually. But also, growth. By the 1990s, there were roughly 10,000 believers. Wow. But then, boom. From the 1990s, an amazing period of openness with amazing church growth. And the person we're meeting today, Bruce, along with his wife, Libby, they were there to witness this. How would you like to live through three decades of massive church growth? Can you imagine the excitement of seeing the whole faith landscape changing as Jesus is proclaimed and believed in? Of seeing churches pop up all over the place? And would you be thinking, how can I get involved in this? What do I bring? And what can I do that maybe might just nudge this along a little bit by God's grace? Well, when Bruce and Libby arrived in the early 90s, they had no idea that this was about to unfold. Today, we get to hear Bruce's perspective, a medical missionary himself, but now also on top of that, a mentor of church leaders. How did they come to be gospel workers in Nepal? And just what has that journey been like? Let's meet him. Well, Bruce, it's great to have you on the Heart of Mission podcast. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, Mark. Now, you have been a missionary in Nepal for over 30 years. When you first went out as a missionary, did you think it would be 30 plus years? No, we certainly didn't set out to do that. Um, I think we committed to about six to nine years. But what we've seen is God unfolding his plans as we've, at the end of each term, discerned and, and sought his leading as to what he would have for us. And I think our, our history over the last 30 years just shows a constant sort of 
reinventing oneself and changing contexts and God has unfolded his plans for us and here we are today. So you've been in Nepal um, for um, that time and there have been some, some times when you've actually come back to Australia. We can, we can mention those in a minute. Um, and, but doing different things at different times. But, but let's wind back to, to when you first were thinking about making this decision uh, and you were single originally and you found yourself doing a medical elective in India. And, of course, you are a medical doctor. And so why did you choose India as an, elect- an elective? Yeah, I think that was all. That was part of my own sort of discernment of what God had for me. I think a verse in Luke twelve, where where it says, "To those to whom much is given, much will be required," had really struck me as I'd gone was going through university. That what a privileged life I had, being able to study medicine, coming from a Christian family, um, living in a stable, um, comfortable country, and so I was really seeking what did God require of me? Because I, I see how from that verse particularly that it's a challenge to those of us who, who have been given much. And so part of my search was to um, go on a medical elective to India. I had friends who were able to help me organise that and I went to an Indian Christian mission hospital as well as to a, a medical mission hospital um, with a Scottish missionary. But that was a very um, significant formative experience for me in terms of opening me up to the the privilege of medical mission. And I would say say today, 30 years on or 40 years on from when I did that elective, was that those Indian Christian doctors continue to inspire me. And then you came back to Australia, you were married and you married someone who was also interested in mission. I mean, what would it have been like if she hadn't been interested? Yeah, that's a difficult question. I'm just very thankful God brought us together. And certainly our our joint interest in in cross-cultural mission was a significant factor in us getting married. So so really, um, yeah, Libby had a background of thinking she'd be a single teacher um, in Pakistan, but then we met and that changed her plans and then we set out together to discern God's leading. And you found yourselves in Nepal doing short-term work and uh, and really what came out of that short-term work was it was a question. And the question just about, you know, should you be doing this long-term and, and how do you make that decision um, and, and, you know, as you've already said, you weren't anticipating that it would be as long as it's turned out to be. Um, but, yeah, what, was, what, was, what were you thinking through? What were your questions back then? Yeah, so I think when, when we set out, it was to, to get an idea of, well, what sort of training would be helpful um, to prepare to come to a place like Nepal? I think we'd been led to Nepal because of my interest in, in South Asia having gone to India. And at the time we approached CMS, actually, they were only sending doctors to two places. That was Nepal and Tanzania. So Nepal just naturally fitted, um, being a, a country where you could only get into um, as a professional at that time. Um, it was you couldn't go in as a as a using the M word. So um, it really fitted what we were interested in. So I suppose when we came on that short term, it was discerning what what would best prepare us, um, and and just to sort of get to know the situation in Nepal, meet some of the folk here. At that stage, there were a number of CMS doctors in Nepal um, and we met um, all of them and they also had a, an in, a part in our own discernment as well. I certainly know from my uh, experience here in the South Australian Northern Territory branch that often I'm meeting people who are thinking about uh, mission and yet there is quite a long time um, amount of time that needs to go by before they can actually get to the mission field. And I suppose that's yeah. part of CMS's um, principle of trying where we can to send long-term missionaries. 
for you, it was quite a long time, wasn't it? There were there was a whole lot of there were children in this time as well. Tell us about that time that that kind of yeah. got you ready for the actual long term mission that you would then go and do. Sure. Um, yeah. So I think when we came back, we we set out that we we I needed to do a, another four years of medical training. I'd only been graduated two years when we did our short term, but it was the right time to discern okay which direction to go. So I spent. Uh, those next four years, really getting um, trained as a generalist and and getting my postgraduate qualification as a general practitioner. So that was the first task. But then, of course, we we had a year at Bible College, which was an important part of preparing, and then our own and the mission training at St Andrews Hall. But yeah, we saw one of the critical things was as to prepare ourselves as a family, and so we came back with the desire to have children in Australia before we went. So when we did go six years later. Um, we had four, uh, three children at that point, a four-year-old, three-year-old and one-year-old. I think what we saw, I mean, and, and I encourage people, it is the time spent preparing is really important. And certainly these days for professional work, you really do need to have your postgraduate qualifications and it's really important to do that before you set out. So those six years were really important, preparing us not only professionally but personally in our family but also spiritually and that's that's sort of the the value of the of Bible college and and then mission training. So we saw all of that as part of the preparation to help us to to a discern God's leading in 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 our going, but then also to prepare us well. Um, and I think the, we also saw the the way God opened the doors and kept providing for us the right training at the right point. That was another confirmation of just pursuing this path. So that we had a plan for six years and it was exactly six years, January 93, when we were ready to leave Australia to come to Nepal. Now you've mentioned professional work and 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 I guess we I want to ask you the question about medical mission. Uh, why should someone think about going on medical mission? What what does it look like? What's what's different yeah. and unique about that? Um, yeah, why did you do it? Why should others do it? Yeah. I mean I think I think one of the critical issues is that more people will come to a hospital or seek healthcare than will ever go to a church, and so actually I think we have a great privilege um, in being exposed to so many non-Christians um, in health work. Now we need to use that the relationship that we can build through that carefully because obviously we're in a position of power and, and people can be quite vulnerable, but it's a critical time for a lot of people when they're unwell, um, and I think for me that was. One of the reasons to go into medicine was as a helping profession and to be able to um, help people in time of real trouble. And that includes being able to, sh- to take opportunities as possible to share the, the ultimate hope that we have in Jesus that provides the ultimate healing. But I think also, particularly for a country like Nepal, there was a huge need. When we came to Nepal in 1993, um, the mission was providing 25% of all the hospital beds in the country. Um, there was very little work outside the cities. And so there was a real need for just the basic professional skills to, to provide what people in Australia would see as, as minimal um, in healthcare. And the, the need was enormous. I was in a 25-bed hospital with about two or three doctors, including myself, serving a population of 150,000. So, I mean, the, the need was enormous. But I think also within a, a Hindu country, the other privilege is care and compassion speaks to people's heart. That's not something that's that's usual in the Hindu belief. Why why would why do you help people? Um, and I think the opportunity that that provides in terms of sharing about a loving God who cares for all His people and to be able to demonstrate care and compassion through healthcare is a unique opportunity. 
So six years uh, in a village, in a mission hospital in that village, I assume that you would have you would have seen a lot of people, you would have become part of that community. Can you just walk us through what, what that was like, meeting people, seeing the way yeah. God was at work? Tell us about it. Yeah, it was, it was a, yeah, a great experience because um, very different from growing up in a city in Australia. Um, so we, we were in a, a small village, a small team of expatriates, but then also a small church. Um, at that point in the 1990s, the church was very small. It had just come out of persecution. And in fact, the pastor of our local church um, had been in jail in the late 1980s. So we had a small, small church that has subsequently grown enormously. Um, but very much part of the hospital work, and, and this is one of the, the things about the mission work in Nepal, everywhere there was a project like a hospital or an engineering project, a local church developed. And we saw our role very much as supporting the local Christians. Some of them worked in our hospital, some of them were involved in other things within the community, um, but we sought to support them. So it was a small church. Um, we'd have to say that those early days were quite difficult, um, but we just look back now and just see how God um, has built on that and the church there is really thriving now in Okatunga. I guess as people are thinking about their their vocations um, and whether those vocations can be used overseas, I mean, they might be health-related vocations or they might be other kind of vocations. There, there might be a time where they really are having to make significant um, adaptations, if you like, to the local context. So you're talking about, you know, growing up in Australia and training in an, in an Australian medical context, then moving into a, a village in Nepal. Um, yeah, I guess, how, how, does, how does someone prepare for that sort of shift and what and what was that like? Yeah, I mean, it, it is an enormous shift. Um, and I suppose these days, you know, it, it varies. I mean, I would say there's a bigger difference between um, Kathmandu and the village, that's the capital city in Nepal, than there is between Kathmandu and the West now. So, you know, coming to a city in Nepal is probably less of a, an issue. Um, but certainly in those days, yeah, going to a village was, was a really significant change. And I think yeah, really it's under God's grace. I mean, in some ways you can't fully prepare. Um, but I think all the things that we did do just in, in personal preparation and just um, being open to God and, and allowing him to speak to us through the, the ups and downs of life in, in a very different context. Um, were part of the growing and the and the privilege. I mean, what what I would say is that it was a life of adventure. I mean, an adventure with God. I mean, we didn't. We still here don't always know what's going to happen on this day or the next day, um, and that's part of the excitement. That it's a it's a step in faith. You know, I think one of the issues in Australia is we become too dependent on on just things always working, and we 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 actually can lose sight of God in in daily life. But in Nepal, and certainly in the village. Um, we always were very aware of God's presence every single day, every single moment. Presumably, you have to adapt your skills as well and your training, because you might have, you might be in an area that's quite specialised, and in Australia or a context like here, uh, there's a place for a whole range of different things. But I guess when you're in a context like a, a village or in other parts of a country like Nepal, you need to be more generalist, don't you? And you actually Absolutely. specifically went down that training path, didn't you? But I mean, is that a is that a difficult thing to to sort of say, all right, well, I'm going to be a jack of all trades? And how do you approach that? Yeah, no, it is it is challenging, and and certainly I'd say that my experience in the village here was I was exposed to things that I'd never seen before. I had to do things that I'd never done before, um, which 
what what helped me with that was a some other folk around me, and there was a, a CMS Australian uh, missionary doctor couple who were already in Oakleton when I arrived, and they were very helpful and encouraging, and taught me a lot of skills. And then also a dear friend who had been a professor of surgery in the law in the 1960s as a mission came and and mentored me. And just the importance of that mentoring and of people, more senior people who've got skills to share those skills. And that's what helped me an enormous amount to, to navigate what was something you could never fully prepare for in Australia. I mean, I did what I could, but yeah, you never could fully prepare for it. And even now, people coming to a uh, perhaps a city context here, it's still different. And you know, there are the challenges of an, of a different place that you can't fully prepare for. But it's but hopefully listening, um, learning from others around who've been there perhaps a bit longer. Um, yeah, that that sort of learning attitude is probably what's critical. Now, there was another phase that followed on from this when you actually did go and move as a family to Kathmandu and that was suitable for your family context at the time for the kids' education. Uh, and your wife Libby was working in a school there as well. How did, how did mission then change uh, moving from the village to the, to the city context? Yeah. Um, tell us about yeah. that. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, the city was very different. So I was in a, I was in a big hospital. Libby was at a, a, um, a, a larger mission school. Um, different sort of community. We didn't have the same closeness of community um, living in a city. Um, we had to find our own community and we did that particularly through the school and that was an important thing and that was a very significant part of our family life because our kids, the school was very central to, to their life as well. Um, I think the other value we found, I mean, we, we were also part of a local church that we found um, in Kathmandu and there were many more choices in the village. We only had one church. But in the city, there were we had to choose. We after going to a number of places, we number of churches, we then chose one to stay with, and I think it was it was quite different, a very different sort of um, church experience in one sense. Um, but also, I think the other thing we found, which was helpful in the city, was um, there were people more that we could relate to as friends. In the village, often it was we we were a small group, and there weren't many other folk who didn't see us just as Western folk who perhaps had some money, um, whereas in the city there was a much broader group and I think that enabled you to establish more friendships and I think for me one of the privileges in the city was I was I started a, a Bible study group um, with some young Nepali Christian men um, that we went on for 12 years together in, in Kathmandu um, looking at God's word and and encouraging and supporting one another and that sort of opportunity wouldn't could never come in a village context. Mm, okay. So tell us about Nepal and what God is doing in Nepal, what, what you've seen of him uh, at work over these decades. Uh, yeah. We are, we're keen to see what's he doing in the villages, what's he doing in the cities. So, I mean, I think, you know, the story of the church in Nepal is, is just an amazing story of God's grace. I mean, a church that's been built on persecution. So um, in 1950, no Christians in the country. By 1990, after 30 years of persecution, there were believed to be about 10,000 Christians. Um, and many Nepali believers, because of their faith, had been jailed, particularly in the 1980s. Now, so when we came in the 1990s, there'd been what we call the First People's Revolution, which had opened up the country to more religious freedom. There was a constitutional monarchy. And what we saw in the 1990s and early 2000s was an amazing growth of the church as in this more open period. And we're just privileged to have seen yeah, the, the fruit of 
many people who'd gone before us. I mean, in the village, we started very slow, but then it took off in the uh, after we left, actually. Um, in the early 2000s, the church in the village really grew. But we saw in Kathmandu particularly churches really growing. Um, and I think in those early, that, that part of the early 2000s, I mean, Nepal, Nepali church was probably one of the fastest growing churches in the world. Now, at the same time, the, there were challenges. I mean, we had a people's war from 1996 to 2006, and then which led to the country becoming a constitutional um, a republic in, in 2008. But I think one of the biggest changes um, for the church in the last couple of years since the earthquake has been we have seen more persecution again. And, and what, we've, what we've seen is after this rapid growth, it's probably um, flattened out a bit now in, in the last five, seven years, particularly after the earthquake, because I think then it became more obvious to people that the church had grown. There were many more Christians and Christians did a wonderful job helping people, particularly in villages um, after the earthquake. And I think there was also an increasing nationalism and some negativity towards foreigners, particularly foreigners who'd come after the earthquake and were quite critical um, of what government was doing, which was unwise. Um, so, so that certainly has, and now we have a law where you, which hasn't really changed enormously, but you, and it's always been the case since we've come here in the 1990s is that you're not allowed to proselytize. Um, no one's allowed to proselytize, and that's to to induce or coerce someone to change their religion, which of course we have no intention of doing. And Christians here aren't trying to uh, coerce people, but really just take opportunities to share their faith. But it has meant that the church now is a little bit more circumspect, particularly in evangelism. Um, the church now is more, rather than going out into the community, would be more getting people to come into the church. But I think one of the, the brilliant things about the growth of the Nepali church is it's very much been based on a one-to-one sharing. As people have come to faith, a lot of people have come to faith through miraculous healing. Um, uh, probably about one, one, one in three people probably come through some sort of healing experience, whether it's through going to a hospital, whether it's through praying um, or combined, which is something the Nepali church does really well, just combining those things. But I think um, also for, for many um, folk, the church um, has has then become a place where they can um, grow and, and learn together. Um, and so we've seen that the, the church has, has really focused more on growing its own people and bringing people into that. But that, but Nepalis are great at sharing with their friends, their relatives, encouraging them to come to, to find out more. So that's, that's worked quite well still. This is a remarkable explosion, isn't it? Have people been praying for Nepal especially? Um, like what, what do you put this yeah. down to? Well, one of the interesting things is that for 20 years before the 1950s, there were people who prayed along the border um, that the country would open up. Now, interestingly, I think some of our long-term older supporters, some of them actually remember praying for Nepal um, before 1950. Most of them have died, unfortunately, by now. But prayer has been a critical part um, of what's happened in this country, um, and and the church continues to to demonstrate that. I mean, prayer. I think one of the things I would say I've learned from our Nepali brothers and sisters is that dependence on God in all things, and which is so beautifully expressed in prayer, they bring everything to God in prayer. And that's that really demonstrates that, that incredible dependence on God that we can learn a lot from. And I think that's been 
God has honoured that um, and, and the church has really grown through that sort of faithfulness. And what is life like for Nepali Christians? Um, I guess is it's it's a poor country in comparison to Australia. Um, you've already talked about the fact that the churches are growing, that um, those relational networks are very significant. But but just just maybe just paint a bit more of a picture of what's what life is like for them. Yeah. So so that's right. I mean, so basically, they are a religious minority in in this country, um, and. But I think one, one thing that's changed in the 30 years since we first came is because the numbers have increased um, significantly, they're more accepted in the community. Um, it's more accepted as a as a, a part of the social fabric of, of life in a community, and I think we saw that in the earthquake. Um, you know, and I think, like, as an example, in a hospital ward in 1990s, it may not be another Christian if there was a, a believe uh, someone um, in the hospital believed there may not be any other believers. But now, if you went into a ward, if if there was someone who was asking, there'd be another relative or another person in the ward who would be Christian or would know something about Christianity. So I think you know just that growing awareness of that, and pretty well every family would probably have someone they know, either a relative or a close friend. You know, so I think just that greater acceptance. So so for Christians, I mean they. They live freely um, here, but they just need to be careful, um, more careful. But um, I think, yeah, they they see themselves as very much trying to contribute to the community now. And I think, you know, it's been the the value of of a growing church that it has become able to be more outward looking um, now. In the early days, I think just particularly under persecution, it was it was it was very tight and very close. But now there's there's more opportunities for for wider gospel opportunity um, in, in the wider community. We have a number of both in, in Kathmandu and, and Pokhara, uh, particularly NGOs, Christian NGOs that are serving in various ways. Um, so that's been helpful as well. Now, about 10 years ago, you and Libby took a significant change in direction. I mean, you're still involved in medical work today, but you've added a significant extra uh, string to your bow. You went and studied for three years um, Master of Divinity, which would be the sort of thing you'd do if you were becoming a minister. Um, so what, what did you have in mind uh, in doing that? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I was at that stage in my early 50s and I think we were really seeking, it was clear it was time for us to take a break and leave Nepal and we weren't sure at that point whether we would come back. We just completed 20 years and we felt God was bringing us back. Um, and I suppose I saw that as a way of preparing for the next step in, in what God had for me. And I didn't know what that was at the time. So we spent three years and that was really helpful, very much a healing for what had happened before, but also then preparing for us. But it, over that time, it became very clear that coming back to Nepal was the right thing to do and what God was calling us to do. And that came through a, a dear Christian Nepali doctor friend who um I'd sent off, been part of sending him for further training. Who came um, and said to us, "I have a job for both of you. One in my in the hospital that I've just become the medical director, hospital director, and one for a school for my kids." And this, so this Nepali doctor really encourages. But that was part of the process, and and also with CMS, um, just discerning where where we could best serve. So we came back here in in 2017. Um, came back to Nepal. And you're currently serving in Pokhara, and I think we uh, we heard about Pokhara in the news not um, not that long ago because of the air disaster that happened there. Yes. Uh, tell us about Pokhara. Yeah, so Pokhara is the second largest city in in Nepal after Kathmandu, um, and it's a tourist city, um, well known for this is where many tourists come. It's the it's the starting point for 
many treks in the Annapurna Ranges, um, has a beautiful lake that people can sit by um, and enjoy the, the beautiful uh, creation around us. So it's a city of about half a million people now, um, a lot of churches, probably more than 100 churches in the city now. Um, and, yeah, I think for us, yeah, quite a different place. Um, we always saw this as a holiday destination, but now it's a workplace. Um, and we've we've changed, uh, adjusted to that, I think. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think the other thing it's, it's Poker is actually famous for is this is where a lot of the Gurkha soldiers train and they still are selecting um, Gurkha soldiers um, from here for the British Army, just 200 a year. So it, it's it, we live in a it's very much a city, but we have a nice close community. Our church is just up the road. Um, we we meet people. We have a home group that we're part of who live around us. Um, the church organises. We have thirty five home groups in our church that, and they organise that based on where you live. So we we meet meet our um, Nepali brothers and sisters regularly, just as as we live life together. So we really love the community here. Um, and even though it's a bigger city, we actually also have a nice community. And one of the things that you have added into your medical work is the whole area of mentoring and developing leaders. What's your mm. vision for that? One of, one of the issues for a rapidly growing church has been that they don't have leaders to, to be shepherds to the flock. Um, so many people coming to faith, um, but not many people are being able to be trained. Um, very few people are able to do full-time theological uh, training. That's in slowly increasing now, um, particularly in Cabin there's a number of Bible colleges. But I think what, what we saw is one of the needs here is really discipling and helping people to grow in faith once they've come to faith and developing leaders. And so I suppose for me the focus has been on on mentoring key leaders within the church and Christian community, people both serving in churches or serving in parachurch organisations and doctors uh, who are seeking to serve in medical mission. So part of part of just sharing my experience, encouraging them in their own uh, journey and how they can be um, developing other leaders. And I think this is one of the critical things for the future um, of the church here is developing the next generation of leaders. So I see the servant leadership, which is a key concept in mentoring, to be a, an important part of helping to support and build the church here. All right. As you reflect on the ministry of the last 30 years or so, what does it look like for your ministry to be cross-shaped? Now, this is a strong, uh, I guess, emphasis of CMS that we we work alongside and under others and that we can face our own suffering and we walk with others in suffering and, and humility. What, what's it look like for you? Yeah, no, I mean, enormous change. I mean, all, all the organisations quite rightly now are led by Nepali Christians. So our hospital, the, the um, Nepali NGO that we work with here is all led by Nepali uh, Christians. Our role is to support and encourage them, whereas when we first came there was more expatriates in leadership 30 years ago, but that's changed enormously. Um, and I think it is just sharing life with them. I suppose, you know, one of the important things I've learned here is very much humility in service and that's still an ongoing work. Um, and I think it is that, I mean, obviously there are challenges in 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 um, serving under a different style of leadership. Obviously the cultural um, issues are different. So Nepali leadership looks different from what I might be used to, but that's part of the process of, of serving alongside and, and working with them um, and, and learning through that, I think learning together and and seeking God's leading in that. So 
yeah, I think I think yeah, the, 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 there's no question now. The key thing is our role is very much to support the local Christians, and and particularly in this country where Nepalis are brilliant at sharing their faith and the brilliant evangelists. But I think where we can be helpful is supporting them in discipling and growing um, and and taking them forward. And that's where I think the, the centrality of the cross is so significant to understanding what is the gospel that we're seeking to share. Because as I, as I mentioned, I mean, many people uh, came to, have come to faith through miraculous healing, but they don't, that doesn't necessarily bring them an understanding of who is Jesus. They've heard the name Jesus. They know they've been healed in the power and the name of Jesus. But who is Jesus? And I think, you know, encouraging our brothers and sisters how we can just share that the basics and and share the centrality of the cross share the centrality of jesus um and understand who he is that's critical to particularly in a in a hindu society where it's very easy for people to incorporate jesus into their pantheon of gods and we need to be very careful that they understand the uniqueness and the the fact that jesus is the way the life and truth Given that uh, we've seen the Lord doing such extraordinary work uh, and that the face has changed in some ways in, in the churches, you said over 100 in Pokhara um, alone, mm-hmm. um, are there still opportunities for people to come and work as gospel workers um, from Australia to Nepal? What, what sort of things yeah. that could they be doing? Absolutely. There's, there's still, I think, you know, the key thing is all about attitude and, and in what attitude we come. Um still opportunities in professional work. I mean, obviously, the country, you still cannot get into the country as a Christian worker. You can't use the M word. Um, and But there are opportunities, as we've done through professional skills, more people are coming through businesses mission, and we have a number of colleagues doing that. Um, but I think the, the critical thing is coming to support the, the local church, to support local believers um, in whatever way that, that that can be. And there's enormous... Um, opportunities in that way. So, no, I think there's still, and, and the church leaders and certainly leaders of, of local mission agencies like INF and UMN um, are still encouraging expatriates to come um, and want people to come, but with an attitude of, of serving under Nepali leadership, of working alongside, of bringing their technical skills um, to share, to grow the, the local um, folk. Um, and, and so in that sense, I think there's still enormous opportunities. What is, uh, tell us a bit more about business's mission. I mean, what would what could that look like? Would would someone need a whole lot of money? Would they need a, a really good idea? Um, would they need to have proven leadership skills? Like what what sort of thing? How does that work? Yeah, so I mean, there, there's there's a whole range of of opportunities of business's mission. But yes, these days you do need a fair amount of money as an initial. That's what gets you a visa. Um, I think it has just changed again recently. It got very high, and they were discouraging it because I think they realised a lot of people were doing that. But um, we have friends who were working with us in the mission. They've set up a, a business in um, IT, doing software development. Um, and that so that's one example. But many different businesses, they can be agricultural businesses. We have another local um, folk that um, run a hydroponic farm, for example. So I think, yeah, you do need, you do need money to start up on that. Um, but that does provide visas, which um, the visas are becoming more difficult. Um, but... Um, yeah, so and you do need a good idea, um, but but I think yeah, we're seeing more and more of business's mission here as well. That's exciting. Well, one final question, uh, I guess, just thinking about the person who might be, you know, perhaps a, few, a couple of decades um, 
back from where you are, think about what you what it was like for you in med school or, and when you were doing that short-term mission and you're, you're thinking about what you could do with your life. You weren't thinking that it would be a 30-plus year uh, missionary expedition, but you were open. I mean, and what, what would you say to someone today who's in that same sort of place with a, the world, their oyster options, they believe in the Lord, they know that the, the kingdom is coming? Um, what would you say? I would say just do it. Um, in terms of explore what God has for you, be open to what God has. Um, you know, I, I think for me the privilege of of setting out on this path has just been the life of adventure with God. You know, just from a, a purely human point of view, my medical career here has been the most interesting. I think I've done pretty well every part of medicine in the last 30 years, whether it's been surgery, obstetrics, ICU medicine, um, general practice, uh, administration, um, palliative care now. I mean, very satisfying, fulfilling, um, wonderfully broad and um, privileged opportunity. But um, that that wasn't the main reason we came. Um, but I think for people to to see it as as how important it is that we seek out what God has for us and to be faithful and to use the skills that He's given us in whatever way that we can. But I, I, you know, my my key thing for for people thinking about it, God is more interested in who we are, what sort of person we are. That's what makes a difference. It's our character. I mean, He can use different skills in different ways, but what He's really seeking to do is to is to hone our characters and I you know for me personally the privilege of of this last 30 years has been what God has done in my own life um in in his work within me has been the most important thing um in my for for my own development but I think through that you know, and and opening ourselves to to what God has for each of us in and then developing us in thinking about how we can reach out and serve others um and through that to be part of God's growing kingdom and I think you know for all of us that's what we need to explore now whether that takes you cross-culturally whether that prepares you for doing something in your own culture in your own setting I, I think the location is far less important than who we are and how we're developing as a disciple of Jesus as a follower of Jesus who seeks to share that with others. Bruce, we're very appreciative of your wisdom and uh, of the story of this um, this 30-odd, well, really 30-plus year journey uh, that you and Libby have been on. Uh, we're very thankful to God for what he's done through you and continues to do through you, and we, we will continue to pray for you and that he will uh, continue to do the good things that he's doing uh, through your service. Thanks so much for being on the Heart of Mission. Thank you very much for having me, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us on the Heart of Mission podcast. What small role can you be playing in God's big plans? To find out more about CMS and opportunities that might be there for you, search us on the web to find your local branch and local social media channels. CMS is a fellowship of Christian people and churches committed to global mission. We work together to set apart long-term workers who cross cultures to share the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ for a world that knows Jesus. See you next time.